Pray with me. Lord, may the words of my mouth and meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. As we're wrapping up, taking a look at David throughout Lent, there's an important story here that we're going to look at today. It's actually chronologically before the one last week, but don't let that confuse you today. An important point from this story is something that I think we all go through, and, and here it is. At some point in our lives, God tells us no. So this happens to David. We'll look at this today. And I wonder about you. Have you prayed for something that God would let you have something, and essentially God said no? Have you prayed for a dream to come true and then it ended up not? Have you prayed for something good to happen that you'd even think that God would want for you? God, surely this must be a good thing, so why wouldn't you want me to have it? And yet God's answer is still no. Well, living in faith means at some point that will happen. At some point God will say no to your prayers and sometimes even your good godly dreams whether it was a job that you really wanted or, or something you really wanted to do or, or a way that you even wanted to serve God and go help people, but it never really worked out. So yes, we all have, have dreams that can even be good and godly, as we'll find out, but at times, sometimes God answers those prayers with a no. What do we do? How, how do we make sense of this when God says so where we are is 2 Samuel 7, which happens to be one of the most important chapters of the entire Old Testament and probably the Bible as well. It's just probably the most important chapter you're not familiar with. So it's less known, but it's very important stuff. Here's how it starts, and some of that's printed in the bulletin for you, and I'll give you a few verses up here. The chapter starts, after the king, David, was settled in his palace, and the Lord had given him rest. From all his enemies around, so he's had victory in all of those, God's given him success and victory, he said to Nathan the prophet, here I am living in a house of cedar while the ark of God remains in a tent. Nathan replied to the king, whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it for the Lord is with you. So David's thankful for everything that God has done and in response to that, he wants to do something for God. That's actually a really good thing. We only live godly lives in response to what God has done for us. We don't do good or be good or live godly lives to get anything from God. It's only in response to everything God has done for us. And so David has this dream to build God a temple. So David's the, the king of united Israel. Amazing. And now he's moved the capital to Jerusalem and then brought the Ark of the Covenant into to Jerusalem as a sign of God's presence with them. And yet, uh, as good as life is, he goes, well, the ark of God's in a little tent where I'm in this big palace. And so David has this dream, this vision to build God's temple there. And so David runs it by his pastor, you might say, Nathan the prophet. Hey, what do you think? And prophet Nathan says, yeah, sounds good. Giving thanks to God for what he's done, that's great. Build temple, great. Yep, sounds good. Go for it. Except... That night, Nathan didn't sleep. So that's where verse 4 says, That night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, uh, you, you spoke a little too soon, Nathan. Tell, go back and tell David, thanks, but no thanks. 
So Nathan has to go back to David, the king, his boss, in the morning and say, Ah, king, I've got some bad news. And remember, you never want to be the one to bring the king bad news because bad news can happen to you. So he has to go to King David and say, you know that temple you wanted to build for the Ark of the Covenant for God? That temple that I kind of said it'd be okay with God? Yeah, about that. God is saying no. And David probably naturally is wondering, well, why, what? Why not? How could God not want this? This is a good thing. Of course God should want this. And then Nathan replies, essentially he says, God appreciates the thought and even in, in the way in Second Chronicles, the story is told, it says, God says that what you had in your heart was good, but no. It was a good and godly dream, but no. And some of those mysteries might be some of the hardest to wrestle with and grapple with in our lives of faith, is when, when God can even say to David and to us, what you had in your heart was good, but the answer is No. And I wonder, how are you and I tempted to respond in that moment when God says no to us? Well, certainly there's disappointment, but I think quickly that maybe can go to anger for us and we just say, well, I want it anyway, so I'm just going to go ahead and do it or go ahead and try to get whatever I wanted in the worst way no matter what. And we often choose this path because we say, well, I know what's good for me, and of course, this is a good thing, so God would want this for me, so I'm going to go find it anyway. Or the other, uh, on the other token, we, we could just become bitter and, and walk away from God. But there's an important step here that I think David shows us that we need to do. There, when we experience disappointment in any way like this, when God says no to our good and godly prayers, the first thing, here's the first thing I think we need to do, and that is, when God says no, grieve. First, first grieve. There'll be more after that. But it's okay to say, I'm disappointed, God, when something doesn't work out the way we want it. It's okay to go to God and say, hey, God, that hurt. I'm, I'm disappointed. There's a lot of Psalms and Psalms of David where God's, or David's telling God he's disappointed for a lot of reasons. And grieving loss, it's important. Sitting with it. Sitting with disappointment and most importantly, sitting with God. So I want to look at what David does. And that's actually after what's printed. So it's verse 18. So the story, jumping over some verses, we'll come back to. But after Nathan tells his word to David, what does David go and do? Here's what it says. Then King David went in to the tent and sat before the Lord. God tells David no, and David goes and sits with God. Of course, David would want to express his, his disappointment or his confusion, but more importantly, he wants to hear from God. And the Bible tells us here that David sat. Not just David, there's a word before David. It says, then King David sat. See, here's the thing kings don't sit, kings don't bow, kings don't humble themselves. Kings are like gods, and all the other Countries around saw their kings as gods. So kings don't sit, except here, very important verse, it says, King David went and sat before the Lord. Even in his disappointment, even in his grief, he knew the one place where he would be loved and accepted and knew what was absolutely good was God. And so King David went before the Lord. King David sat. So when God says no, 
first, when God says no, first grieve. That's the first step. Grieve what you've lost. What will not happen, that's okay. Grieve the pain or the, or the shattered dreams and take it to God. Sit with God. He still loves you dearly. He still wants to hear from you. Okay, when God says no, first grieve, then what? So let's get to the next part. And that is 2 Samuel 7, part of the first reading we had this morning. As I said, one of the most important chapters of the Old Testament and even the Bible. And here's why. What God says to David when he says no is unbelievable. He says, the Lord, oops, I'm going to read a few verses before that. He says, tell David, he says to Nathan, tell David, this is what the Lord says. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, and I made you ruler over my people. And I've been with you wherever you've gone, and I've cut off all your enemies, and now I will make your name great. And he says, the Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, that is when you die, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He, will, he is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So God says no to David and then makes this monumental, amazing promise to him. So God essentially says, you want to build me a house, David? Sorry, I'm actually going to build you a house. Except house doesn't mean building, house means family line, it means dynasty. So remember when Mary and Joseph take or go to Bethlehem before Jesus is born, what does Luke tell us? Because they were of the house of David. So the promise God is making is that he's going to give a descendant of David is going to be the one who will rule the whole world. That's Jesus. He's making a promise to David that the Messiah will come from your line. So David wants to do something good for God, and God turns it around and says, you will not be outdone by my goodness. So whatever good you wanted to do, it was good, but I'm going to do something far better. And God promises that the Messiah will come from David's line and that every promise God has made to his people and he's making to David will be fulfilled and, it is, and they are fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus is that descendant who sits on the throne of the universe for all eternity. Jesus is God with us, God who has come to be with you always. He is the one who has come to rescue you from all your enemies of death and sin, just like God rescued David from his enemies. Jesus came to reconcile you and the Father and to give you new life. Jesus is God's love incarnate for you because God keeps his promises. And because God keeps his promises in Jesus to you, it means that in everything we do and everything I say this morning, it means I can barely scratch the surface of how much God loves you. You see, God's promises are far better than our prayers. What we want and even what we pray for pales in comparison to what God actually wants to give us because he wants to give us his grace and his gracious will. So here's the second part. When God says no, grieve, first grieve, then believe. When God says no, grieve your disappointments, yes, and then believe God's promises. It's like the promises he made to David and kept and the promises he makes to you and keeps. When God says no, grieve and believe. Grieve your disappointments, then believe God's promises. You see, David knows 
I'm sorry, God knows, just as he did to David, God knows how to answer your prayers far better than you've ever asked them. David asked to build a temple. God says, no, but I'm going to do far better things than you even prayed for. And I wonder if we believe that. Do you and I believe that God answers your prayers far better than you even know how to ask? If I look back in my life, I think there are, there are many times where I look back and thank God for not giving me what I prayed for because what he gave me was something far better than what I was asking for. Except, there's a challenge here. There's something hard about this too. The hard part is David didn't see with his own eyes these promises fulfilled. He was given them, and they're amazing, but he didn't get to see with his own eyes. You see, when David dies... His sons are fighting for the kingdom. His family has had a lot of bloodshed between Solomon, his son, is anointed to be king, but his son Absalom is dead, and his other son Adonijah is is estranged. When David dies, the kingdom is wobbly, and his family is, is in really poor shape. So David couldn't see with his eyes the fulfillment of all of God's promises, even though God keeps his promises. You see, A lot of those promises weren't fulfilled until Jesus a thousand years later. So I wonder about that challenge for me and for you. Can you believe that God will answer your prayer better than you ask, even if you don't see it? Even if you don't see it today or this week, or maybe the hardest part is even if you don't see it in your lifetime, can you still believe that God will answer your prayer better than you ask? There's probably people that you know that are wandering from the Lord, and yet you've prayed for them and prayed for them and prayed for them, and you know that God wants all people to come to know him, except your loved one is still wandering. Or you know that God will one day heal all diseases, but you're still wondering why your loved one died. Or you know that God promises to work all things together for good for those who love him, but it seems like you haven't seen that in your life lately. When God says, no, grieve, then believe. Grieve the disappointment, then believe God's promises. You see, God has sent the Messiah, Jesus, the greater David, who sits on the throne of heaven, the one who bled and died for you. And God does know what's best for you. And God does work all things together for good for those who love him. And God knows, as Jesus said, God knows how to give good gifts to his children. Those are promises you can trust and believe. You see, Jesus also had a moment where God said no to him. When Jesus was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, just before he was arrested and then taken to be crucified in the morning, he prayed in agony, and Luke tells us, you know, his his sweat was like drops of blood, and, and he's saying, Father, is there any other way? And the Father told Jesus, no. But God's no to Jesus was actually God's yes to you. God wanted you back, and so Jesus willingly stretched out his arms in death so that you would have life. You see, in Gethsemane, Jesus didn't get the easy answer, but he trusted God to do what was best to bring you home and to bring life to the world. And you can trust him. When God says no, grieve, then believe. Say that with me. 
When God says no, grieve, then believe. One more time. When God says no, grieve, then believe. Amen.